And what's going on, everybody? Welcome on into yet another edition of the Check Your Brain podcast hosted by me, Tony Mazur. And uh, as I said last week, I'm going to start putting these out uh, just uh, like an extra episode for you folks, a little teaser episode for free every week over on Rumble. But I think I might put this on YouTube because eh, I don't want to say it's breaking like it's not huge political news or anything like that, but it's basketball news. It's something you know, that's going on this week and the day it's being put out is the day of the Denver Nuggets parade when they hoist up the Larry O'Brien trophy up and down, uh, I guess, what, uh, I, I don't know what street they'll be going down. I've only been to Denver a couple of times, but uh, we'll uh, we'll talk about all that and more in NBA matters with my good pal, Spencer Davies, who Spencer, um, weirdly enough, we hung out several hours the other day and I forgot to ask him what he's doing these days. <laughs> It's like, wouldn't you think I'm with the guy and I'm like, hey, we should do a podcast. I should have said, hey, uh, where are you working these days? Like, what are you writing for? Because he's always writing for something and somebody. And uh, I, I did see quickly in a bio that you're writing for somebody. So we'll talk some NBA matters. But first, let's get the plugs out. Spencer, thanks for being on. Where uh, where can we find your work? Yeah, no, no problem, Tony. And it's OK. The drinks were flowing on Saturday. We were celebrating a great occasion. Your brother got married. So. All yes, good. indeedy. Um, but uh, yeah, no, you can find my work pretty much right now at uh, at the Hoop Herald. Um, most of my stuff, honestly, um, on LinkedIn, I've got a bunch of stuff pretty much just hyperlinked to works of mine, whether it's been video, um, live streams, and obviously feature articles that I do with a lot of um, NBA players. But even outside of that, guys overseas, internationally. Um, so you can just go over to my LinkedIn page, honestly, and I think that's a really good spot for uh, my portfolio. But uh, yeah, currently I'm just at this place called the Hoop Herald. Um, it's just kind of getting its legs under it right now. Uh, a, a lot of stuff coming from that from people that used to work in basketball circles, whether it was at D1 colleges, uh, in the G League, um, and even some experience in the NBA. So I'm really happy to be partnering uh, with those guys. And I've got another feature coming out on there too, coming up this week. But uh, most recently was my feature about a few weeks ago on Mikel Bridges, obviously an up-and-coming star over there in Brooklyn. So um, that's pretty much where I'm at right now, and uh, I'm enjoying it, even though, you know, um, I did just lose my job a, a couple of months ago. But we're off and running. We're on a good spot here, and I uh, can't wait for Summer League in, in July. Yeah, are you heading out to Vegas for that? I will be, yes. Uh, it'll be the third or – God, I can't – you lose count sometimes when you're in Vegas, but uh, well, you I've well you lose count because it's interesting how about how basketball writers are is when you get to summer league you basically are whether you're covering the NBA finals or not you have like several weeks off and you start to lose track of the days because you make your money during the season like you, you can have a couple of oh we're doing a featured thing we're doing this and that but ultimately your bones are being made especially during the months from like March to June, but uh, all throughout the winter time. So by the time you get to around 4th of July, you're like, boy, am I, what's going on? Like, I don't even know what day is it Thursday. Is it Tuesday? Is it, Oh no, it's Sunday. Oh shoot. So it's, one, <laughs> it's quite a life. You ain't wrong about that. Um, and I, I will actually push back against that because we do have the NBA off season that happens in July. So, uh, well, yeah, by July 1st, you got to shape up. <laughs> right, exactly. So you do have that like little tiny grace period. I'd say the dead months are more probably towards like the end of July and heading into August before training camp starts, obviously, in September. But uh, I think that, you know, when you're out in summer league, it, it really is kind of an, a reward for the hard work you've done for those, you know, five, six, seven months. Um, you go out there, you network, you have fun. Um, there's actually very little watching of the basketball, to be quite honest. Uh, it's well, it's for, like spring training in baseball, as I noticed that with a lot of a lot of uh, spring training sports writers that they go out to Arizona or they go to Florida, and all you see are late night Instagram stories of them at a club or at a bar or cigar lounge. I'm like, you know, you're out there for a reason, right? <laughs> like your company <laughs> sent you out for a month to cover spring training, and uh, every night I just see you. It's like, see, this is a now, this is a Cuba, and they always talk about these are the uh, contraband in the United States. I'm like, where's the baseball stuff? <laughs> <laughs> working hard or hardly working, right? Isn't that the saying? But it, but, but in fairness, with, with Basketball Summer League is when you are a grandfathered player that 
Yeah, you're not usually going to see them at summer league. You might see them show up for a couple of games or something, but for the most part, you're seeing guys that are trying to cling on to a team, uh, new rookies, or maybe second, maybe third year players who want to get uh, kind of shed some of that summer weight off. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's, it seems like a good time, but let's talk about the NBA in general this year. And what's fascinating about it, because we're, we're broadcasting out of uh, in Cleveland, Ohio, had a nice bounce back year, year for the Cavaliers. But in general, I thought the NBA has shown, weirdly enough, for a league that has not had a lot of parity over the years, a league that's been focused so much on super teams like the Warriors, like the Heat from 10 years ago, like the Spurs, like you know the Boston Celtics Big Three, that in the last couple of years, you're finally starting to see actual parity where two, just two years ago, when I think the last time well, we talked on my podcast, Milwaukee, of all teams, wins the championship. Now, we kind of went returned a little bit to Golden State last year, but just this week, we saw the Denver Nuggets winning a championship. Uh, it seems like basketball might be going in, a, in an interesting direction. And uh, I, I, and we could talk about CBA and stuff about prevention of more super teams, but talk about the season in general. How is that? How has it looked? Is uh, and oh, and, and the other thing I want to ask uh, later on is about the direction of the league. Now that a lot of these star players that you and I have kind of grown up with are starting to look in terms of retirement. Uh, what? How? How is the twenty twenty one? I mean, the twenty twenty two twenty twenty three season looked for you. Well, I, you you hit the nail on the head, I think, there, that there were just a lot of teams that were competing. I mean, <laughs> I remember on my podcast, um, Keep It at 94 with uh, Brian Fritz, uh, before we were obviously um, gone from basketball news, we talked about it every single week. We're like, uh, everybody's like 500. Uh, there's like two games separating first place and fifth place. And then from fifth place to 14th place, there was a separation of like three and a half games. And it felt like that was the case throughout probably February. And then you started to see teams a little bit, make a little bit more room between themselves. Um, I think, you know, I did an article on this, Tony. I asked some coaches about it. I asked Taylor Jenkins of the Memphis Grizzlies. I asked Eric Spolstra of the Miami Heat. Um, and I asked Billy Donovan of the Chicago Bulls. And uh, obviously, J.B. Bickerstaff here in Cleveland, I was just like, you know, is there a reason that over the last few years, there's been a little bit more competition? Um, and there were multiple answers. You know, some of them said that some some of the injuries that span from the years that the shortened season from the, the pandemic uh, had a lot to do with it, um, too, just because of the, the soft tissue injuries and whatnot. So that made some teams a little bit more easier to compete because it was their uh their health that helped them to get through right um some other you know answers came from was the the play-in the play-in tournament that's been reinst that's been instated uh for the last three years that has given teams incentive to not go the other direction if they're closer to 500 whereas in past years that we've seen teams say okay let's play these guys on 10-day contracts and the guys that are you know 12 to 15 on the bench uh you're seeing a lot more uh, of the okay let's go for it we need this experience anyway let's see what happens you know um, I'm looking at teams like you know the Thunder um, the Pelicans uh, very similarly in that regard um, but yeah no you're, you're not wrong there's been more of a a fire there's been more of a a reason to make the regular season rather and if you want to go that far too Tony you know I, I hear a lot of arguments about the regular season, how can we make it stand out more? How can we make it so that you know, more meaningful? Start? Yeah, exactly. But did you see what the Denver Nuggets path was? And this is not taking anything away from Denver because I hate that kind of discourse myself. Um, but they played an eight seeded Minnesota Timberwolves team that won a play in tournament. They played the Phoenix Suns in the second round who had just gotten their team together because of the Kevin Durant trade less than a month and a half ago. And then they played the Lakers, who everybody thought was the best thing since sliced bread because of a trade deadline move. Um, and that was their path, right? So they played an eight, they played a five, and they played a seven, okay? Mm -hmm. That means the regular season met, meant something to the Nuggets to get the top overall seed, get home court advantage, and it mattered. So it it was something for them, right? You know, 
Yeah. Uh, well, and also it, when I'm looking at the NBA standings and uh, one of my big criticisms I've had about the NBA for the last, gosh, 20 years has been the weaknesses of the two conferences. And traditionally, the Eastern Conference has always been very weak. It's been usually one or two, maybe three teams and everybody else. And uh, for a long time, when we were still doing the straight, you know, one plays eight and there weren't play playing tournaments that you would see that number one seed who had 60 wins is facing a team that had 35 wins and is way under 500, did not deserve to be in the playoff, but is there just kind of out of necessity. And for the first time in uh, in that time, probably since the Jordan days, that the Eastern Conference overall, statistically, and I, well, maybe not, I don't know about statistically, but record-wise, was better than the Western Conference. I can't think of a time in recent memory that's ever happened. It's usually that eighth seed, in the West has always kind of been a dogfight, whereas the eighth seed in the East has always been, all right, who's the sacrificial lamb that's going to lose to Miami, that's going to lose to Cleveland, it's going to lose to Boston. And it's yeah. for the first time, it's I haven't seen the NBA like this. Yeah, the Eastern Conference is on the rise, man. And if you look at Boston, you look at Philadelphia, you look at, you know, I mean, I don't know if I would put Miami in that tier. I actually had Miami and Cleveland on a similar tier uh, going into this year, and then you know, the Heat got hot and started hitting threes and, uh, you know, cooled down a little bit there late into the, the postseason. But, you know, they have a lot of talent in the, the Eastern Conference. And I think you're going to see a little bit more of a, a shift in, in power uh, back that way a little bit. Um, because you just mentioned it a little bit earlier, too, is that a lot of the Stars in the West are, are getting a little older, right? You look at LeBron, you look at KD, who's now on the West there with Phoenix. Um, I'm sure you can think about a couple Anthony other Davis can barely too. stay on the court. <laughs> well, that's a different argument, <laughs> but yes, yes. Um, there. You know, even even you look at um, Kawhi and, and Paul George being able to you Chris know, Paul. Not stay on the floor. Chris Paul. Um, so yeah, the the Eastern Conference is starting to kind of gear up a little bit and say, okay, we're going to beat each other up so much that we might prove to be the the dominant part of the NBA here. Um, and I think that there's a lot of teams on the rise in the East too, man. I mean, you look at Cleveland, obviously the one year did not finish the way they, they wanted it to, but I think overall it was a success. Um, you look at Atlanta who just bolstered um, their team by adding a, a coach like Quinn Snyder, who's a terrific coach. Um, and I think, you know, having DeJounte Murray there with, with Trey Young, you still have uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich there. Clay Capella, I love Onyeka Okongwu. That's a good, solid team on the rise. You see a bunch of the coaching, uh, you know, hires that have changed a little bit here now, too. Um, I'm looking out for Detroit with Monty Williams there. It's going to be a little bit more of a long-term project, but I love where, where they're going. Um, so you have... On different tiers, you have a lot of teams in the East that are looking to compete in a really solid way, um, whereas the West, you have a lot of young teams um, that can be there in you know four or five years, and then you have those at the top like Denver. Denver could be running it, I'll say, but it depends on the you know the kind of where the organizations are in their. Uh, in their process, I guess. <laughs> well, and well, uh, I I have to ask about the coaching here in just a second. But as far as the conferences go, I've asked people this before: Why traditionally was the East worse than the West? And the best argument that I had heard was geographic. Was Eastern Conference teams are usually in more cold weather teams, and in cold weather cities. And then the Western Conference is usually in more warmer weather places. So you have you have in the East, you have Toronto, you have Boston, you have Cleveland, you have Philadelphia, uh, Chicago. Uh, you know, these are cold weather places. Yet in the West, you have the two L.A. teams, you have Phoenix, you have San Antonio, you have Dallas. And it, it kind of is a little bit more tropical. Whereas if you go to the East, of course, people would want to play in Miami for a little bit. And of course, you'd want to play in, you know, some warmer weather. But think about the Eastern Conference. There's not a lot 
of warm weather Eastern Conference teams. I guess you can consider Atlanta sometimes, except for those Orlando. couple of weeks in yeah, Orlando. But even Orlando is just a it's a weird place where they've had two runs. Orlando has had two runs in their entire uh, time. And yet it always just seems like a black hole down there at the Amway Center. Uh, so that's what I was always wondering about how the conference has differed. And a lot of it was because of the, the geographic location of these teams. But it is nice to see a little bit of that parody where guys are don't mind playing in the cold. OK, yeah, you're going to have to drive through some snow to get to games, but it's not like you're living destitute. You're living in a nice house in a nice suburb outside those cold weather cities. So it's OK. It's not Miami Beach. OK, it's not Malibu, but that's eh, it's not bad either. I think you're seeing some players to start to really value winning, um, at, at least with the, you know, the newer generation. They don't really care too much um, about the destination cities the way that maybe, you know, some of the stars in the past would have. Um, certainly not presented that way by a lot of the networks and a lot of the, you know, pundits that cover the sport. They still try to really go for those destination cities that, that uh, you know, the New Yorks, the LAs. Um, but so, TN like so TNT can do some B-roll where they're going down Key Biscayne in uh, Miami, just outside of Miami Beach. And you're like, oh, we're, you're looking live outside of whatever Miami Heat's arena is. And they show palm trees. And you're like, yeah, that's a little different than being in Milwaukee when you show the Paps Brewery filled with three <laughs> feet of snow. And there's some validity to it, but I, I really do think that players do uh, value that that winning and value wanting to to be places. Um, there is more, you know, power. There is more um, ability for players to kind of have a say in where they want to go, uh, which I don't necessarily think is that bad of a thing. Um, but I, I also think that you know, mentality wise. Um, we're starting to see guys like really appreciate um, winning environments and really understanding that it's the, the grass is not always greener on the other side sometimes. So I recall about man, I, 15 years ago when you were starting to see the newer crop of the NBA players, the Carmelo Anthony's, the LeBron James, the Dwayne Wade's enter the league. And as they were getting, I don't want to say grandfathered because it wasn't, they weren't in the league that long, but you were seeing a lot of, I guess some respect and some disrespect towards coaches who either who played the game and others who didn't play the game kind of worked their way through the 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 ranks like a Eric Spolstra type. Where at the beginning, people kind of forget when Eric Spolstra was there, and the first couple of years, and then by the time the big three start going go to Miami, there was a lot of pressure on Eric Spolstra that he was going to get kicked out, and and Pat Riley was going to say, "All right, screw this, I'm taking over right now." Um, but I've noticed a coaching difference in the last few years where it's retread after retread after retread, where you're not getting the what I would think in like what you see in Major League Baseball, the young up and coming coach who's may have just played and learned analytics and everything. You're now seeing the Mike D'Antoni. Here's uh, here's this guy. Here's that. Here's Nate McMillan gets another job. And it just seems like teams get. They'll fire their coach, and then three days later, another team picks them up as opposed to why not try something new? Like Frank Vogel, oh, he gets fired. Two days later, he's hired by somebody else. It just seems like everybody's continuing to go back to the well. You mentioned Monty Williams. Monty Williams, I think, has coached half the teams in the league. Uh, it just seems over and over again the NBA is, while they're trying to attract new crop of talent – they're not doing so as much in the coaching realm. Why is that? It's a good question. I, I think there's a level of familiarity and there's a level of. Um, is it a good old boys club? That's a really good. That's a really good way. Because you see to, that in the NFL, too, where you'll you have a, a guy who's you a do. head coach. He gets fired and then immediately he's now an offensive coordinator and then he works his way back into being a head coach and it's over. So you look at their Wikipedia page and they always have a job. But it just seems that in the NBA, these guys just continue cycling from one team to another. And there's really not much of a break. And, and I mean, you, you can, you know, add Steve Clifford to that list, who's coached the, the Hornets twice. I, I, I see what you mean. But I also do see an up-and-coming up group, right? You have Jamal Mosley in Orlando. 
You have, uh, you can even honestly say uh, a JB Bickerstaff in Cleveland. You have Darko uh, Rajakovic that just got hired in Toronto. You have Adrian Griffin finally getting that first head coaching job um, with a championship qual- uh, caliber team in Milwaukee, right? So there are examples of this. Uh, you just saw Joe Missoula uh, take the Celtics to the Eastern Conference Finals. You look at, you know, there's different examples. Um, I, I'd say it's probably about half and half now. Um, but I, I see what you're saying, though. I mean, Frank Vogel just gets hired by the Suns. Um, you have, uh, you, you brought up Monty Williams. You still have Tibbs in New York. Um, you still you know, when Mike see- Budenholzer when he got let go by the the, the Milwaukee Bucks everyone's like oh, let's go after him we're like why why not how about how about give the guy a year off and how about you develop talent inside your organization like I, I would think that if you have some kind of quality control coach or some kind of offensive coach and you see how well the offense clicks why not try to promote from within as opposed to always continually going back to the well. Yeah, and I think a lot of teams see that too. I mean, um, Nick Nurse is over in Philly. I mean, I personally think that's going to work out really well. But uh, there, I'd say it's probably about down the line, half and half right now with that. Because, and and, and I will say this too. Um, and I'm not the biggest fan of this, but I mean, in the current NBA society, uh, a coaching. A coaching uh, leash right now is about two to three years. Um, and if you don't see significant progress, then you can see someone go out the door. Um, I think it takes a little longer, especially if you're not in one of those big markets, uh, to put together a good – this is a buzzword, but culture um, – to put together a, a healthy environment, have enough time to go through the ups and downs and come out on the other end. I mean, hell, look at the Nuggets, man. How long's Michael Malone been there? How long's that core been together with Jamal Murray and and Nicole Jokic heading that thing up? I mean, those have been the two guys uh, to run the thing for I don't know seven, six, seven years now. Well, and, and I, I also think there. though you it's a delicate balance because you need to tell your fan base that it, we are committed to winning, mm-hmm. but it it's I think it's it. <laughs> It's a weird business model to tell them, look, we're going to suck for the better part of a decade, but stay with us in 10 years. What if someone's like, well, I don't have 10 years. When Philadelphia started doing what Sam Hankey about, uh, hey, we're going to trust the process, trust the mm-hmm. process. We're, we're go- and telling telling the fans, hey, look, we're going to be terrible. So uh, go to games, please support us, buy uh, old Iverson gear and Charles Barkley gear, but we will be bad. You will see bad basketball, but I guarantee you in – a number of years, it's going to be great. Well, not everybody has that kind of time. And not everybody has that kind of patience that you're going to want to pull the plug eventually. Now, how'd the process work out a decade later? Philly is barely has been in the playoffs. They've been good, but they, they haven't been the dynasty that they put it out 10 years ago that, hey, if you tr- continue trusting this process, we're going to be hanging banners left and right. Okay, maybe you're hang, hanging a divisional championship banner, but it's not an NBA championship. It's not a Larry O'Brien trophy. So it's it's a tough sell to a franchise, especially when you're in a big market. I think small markets can maybe get away with it a little more. I'm not saying Denver's a small market, but certainly Milwaukee is. But for Philadelphia, for New York to tell people, look, hey, guys, we're going to be terrible. Yeah, I think the only thing that's good for is if somebody's a visitor from out of town and wants to go check out a game at Madison Square Garden and say, all right, hey, tickets are hmm, it's like $14. I could sit at MSG. That'd be great. That's about it. Yeah, I agree with that. But at the same time, I feel like fans don't understand that there are levels too good. You know, like the Nuggets had six straight winning seasons. This is the first year they had something to show for it other than when, it, when they were in the bubble, right? So like... <clears throat> Do you jump ship with a guy because they're a second tier team? Like, I don't think that that's the right mindset. There can only be one standing at the end of the year, right? And Denver in the last five years has been in that conversation. Were they there yet? No, but they made the right moves, the right marginal moves. You keep your core intact. You keep your coaching staff intact, front office stuff. 
I mean, Calvin Booth obviously took over a little a couple of years ago, and Connolly's over um, in Minnesota now, and maybe that was a big change they needed to make. But for me, at least, just looking at the team stylistically, it's pretty much the same damn team. They changed the little pieces of parts around it, and then it worked. Uh, so it can be marginal differences. A team can be good before they're great. Like mm-hmm. that's the type of adversity I'm talking about. It's not okay. We're having losing seasons for two out of three years um, because we're trying to get at the top spot in the lottery. That strategy doesn't work anymore, by the way. But for good teams, I feel like good teams need to have a little bit more leeway with their talent, especially if it's young and up and coming. If you look at Cleveland, man, I mean, they had the second youngest starting lineup in the NBA, and they were a, uh, a four seed. And I thought that, for this year, they did a solid job other than the performance in New York, against New York, right? So Lights like, were too you, bright. The, the lights were too bright. That was actually my question, Tony, <laughs> for, for Jarrett. And Jarrett gave that answer. I was like, oh, no. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I just think there needs to be a little bit more leeway. Like, is it okay for fans to like a good team? Do they? Does every team have to be great? Like that's my only. That's only well, my, my. Well, my I, I I think it's progress. I think if exactly. you are if you're a team that for four five years you're at the bottom of the standings and there's really no wiggle room, then you say, okay, mm-hmm. come on, guys, this is you 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 want incremental growth. So if you decide right. to strip a team to all the way down to the studs and you win twenty games, you say, okay, well, that gives us better lottery odds of trying to get that number one overall pick. Okay, maybe you get a top three pick. Not it's not guaranteed that you're going to get number one, but you're going to get a very good pick. And maybe you, that twenty turns into twenty five to thirty, and then you say, okay, by year three, you want to make the jump from thirty to forty. That's I think what's a what's a good sign to try to turn things around. But if you're hovering around twenty five. And then telling fans, hey, guys, stick with us. It's going to be great. It's going to I'm telling you, we have a brand new arena. That's great. I want to see better basketball. And it's like this in a lot of other sports. You can't just continue. I mean, we see with the Cleveland Browns for how many years that you can't continue telling the fan base, stay patient. It's like, no, these are your customers. And I, I think it's a delicate balance. I think and, and and part of that is for being a fan for for you and I have covered basketball for a number of years but also as being a fan is that fans like the journey they enjoy the journey they like the fact that you can look back at the team like man boy do we suck last year but we kind of suck this year but we don't suck as much as last year you like that journey so by the time you do get to year five and you're going to your downtown arena and having drinks beforehand. And that team is a playoff contender. And, you know, every day you're looking at the standings. I think that's what's so exciting about it. So I think fans are more patient than I think some front offices actually do give them credit for. It's just when your team's like, I, I mean, I, you think about Sacramento for how many years? I mean, they they jacked that team around so many times. They threatened to move them to Virginia Beach and all these other places. They had to stay in that horrible Arco Arena for a long time. And they had to convince fans that guys like John Salmons is going to be the savior of the franchise. It's like, for how many years are you going to tell people, no, just stay with us? And eventually they said, no, we we need some some action. And look, Sacramento had a great run this year. So it was nice to see some of those teams that you haven't heard in a long time make a playoff run. So that's one thing I was happy about with the NBA and, of course, how the finals ended up with Denver winning. Uh, As far as the future of the NBA, we have um, you and I talked about John Morant a couple of years ago. Well, he's been in the news a lot lately. And uh, you were telling me about John Morant that this guy is going to be like a top five player in basketball, that he has the talent, he can shoot, he can jump out of the gym, he can block shots into the fifth row, everything like that. Well, now he's looking at a pretty lengthy suspension right now. Uh, Who would you say are your top five players that I'm going to say top five players under 30? Because you can we can mention LeBron, we can mention Kevin Durant, you can mention Steph Curry all we want, but eventually that torch is going to get passed in the next couple of years here. Who are, who would you say are your top five players under 30 right now? Under 30. Um, I still think Giannis Antetokounmpo is my number one. Um, he's not just, even 30 yet. He's not. He's <laughs> not. Man. I think he's, he's like 27. He's been in the league 10 years now. 
Dude, this is the crazy part about when you you draft these guys. He was in the uh, 2000, I want to say 2014 draft class. 2013. That was, that was yeah. the year the Cavs drafted Anthony Bennett. Good times. Ironically, the first time I was in a, a locker room, too. Um, but, uh, no, I would say Giannis. Um, God, I, I hate pitting guys against each other. I really do. I really do. But, I mean, some order of Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid. I'm probably going to give the edge to Nikola Jokic because he just won a title, right? Um, Don't say that to Kendrick Perkins. He's going to be unhappy. <laughs> Uh, under 30. Wow, this is tough. Um, you have to include Luka Doncic. You have to, just because of his offensive talent. Um, he is giving off that kind of, uh, that brash vibe right now, though, that I'm not exactly a fan of. Uh, and number five, that's a tricky one, man. Because, I mean... People are probably screaming at the top of their lungs, Jason Tatum, Jason Tatum, Jason Tatum. Oh, man. I put you on the spot. I understand. It's, uh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Well, but but I, I think a lot down. of it is because when yeah. we talk about the future of the league and uh, it, during the Jordan years, it was nice to see because you would have Jordan, but you would also have the contemporaries. You had the dream team. It was just a it, it was a perfect storm. And the NBA freaked out when Jordan retired the second time after the 98 finals because they're like, oh, who's going to be the next Jordan? Everybody wanted to find the next Jordan. Well, the NBA got kind of lucky because it only took him five years to find the next Jordan, which was LeBron. Uh, but then LeBron now is entering season 21. And who knows how much longer we're going to keep going, going back to LeBron here. And yeah, I understand he still has his talent. He still is out there, but Kevin Durant it, it played with the Seattle supersonics. They have not been around in 16 years. Now, uh, Chris Paul's been around since 2005. James Harden's been around since uh, I believe 08 Westbrook 2008. So these guys are entering 15, 16, 17, even 20 years in the league. Eventually, the NBA is going to go through a little bit of an identity crisis and figure out who's going to be our next LeBron. Who's going? Who's it going to be? I mean, eventually, I mean, Clay Thompson hasn't been able to stay as healthy as he's wanted to, and you know that that Warrior team is kind of you're seeing it fraying a little bit towards the edges. I understand they won last year, but eventually, just like all the other sports that have some otherworldly talent, you have to find who your next crop of talent's going to be. And I think the NBA is going to go through an identity crisis, I would say five years from now, when a lot of those guys are either on the verge of retirement or completely retired. That's a good, it's a, I agree. And I disagree. Um, first of all, you say the NBA is having an identity crisis. I am having an identity crisis hearing how those guys are that close to retirement, knowing that I've seen them get drafted. I've seen them play. I'm starting to feel real old here, man. Uh, <laughs> oh, I mean, when I'm looking at Kevin Love on the court with gray hair and I realize I'm older than Kevin Love, that's a problem. <laughs> that's a problem. That's it's like problem. I'm just starting to figure out where my career is and they're ending their careers. Seriously, seriously. Um, but I think the league is actually going to be in a solid place. They're going to have to do a little work with the the casual audience, correct? Um, because everybody knows who LeBron James is, right? Everybody knows who Stephen Curry is, Kevin Durant, the like. I think talent-wise and personality-wise, they're going to be okay. Um, starting with talent-wise, I think the league is in a better place than it's ever been as far as international talent goes, right? So it's going to be a global game. You're going to have people from France coming in. I mean, shoot. How crazy is it that they're already promoting Victor Wembanyama like he's already in the NBA? They have him, uh, his games uh, streaming on NBA app. They have his games all over Twitter, all over Facebook, Instagram. Everybody knows who Wemby is at this point. Wemby has that type of star draw because he's a 7'6 guy who can move like a point guard, shoot step back threes and block shots from like the middle of the floor. Um, you have you know, a ton of outreach too from guys that come over from Australia, guys that are coming from Africa, the, the basketball Africa league. You have guys coming over uh, from all sorts of different places. Even the G league is as stacked as it's been. Those aren't the guys that are going to sell tickets. I understand this, but 
the talent itself, I think they're going to be in a fine place. It's the selling who the next face of the league stuff that you're talking about um, is, is going to be the thing that, that really separates it. But the way that they're promoting Wemby, just going back to that, I feel like they're already banking on that guy being the face of the league. Um, and hopefully he can stay healthy because he does look like one crazy hell of a prospect. And there's a lot of pressure being put on him. And he's only 18, 19 years old. And that's been that David Stern outreach that's paying dividends now. Like you may not see it immediately. You may not just, you know, bring a basketball over to Lithuania and dribble it a couple of times. You're going to get a great player. It's going to take 20 years because you got to get those kids that are little, little kids start to play, mm-hmm. start the leagues going. It's, and I would say at least 20 years. And that's when you see a lot of the, uh, and how that game is starting to transform in the, the NBA right now, when Eurostep, which you, if you said that 15 years ago, no one knows what you're talking about. And then eventually Mono Ginobili is doing that. And you're like, Oh, okay. So that's what's going on. And a lot of those aspects, it's, we've kind of gone away from a little bit more of the and one mixtape type of basketball that we saw in the late nineties to here's a little bit more of a finesse game that we are seeing. And a lot of that comes straight from Europe and China right now. Yeah, no, it's, there's a lot of fundamentals being put on. Um, If you can play, if you can move the ball, if you can shoot, uh, if you have size and skill, you're going to find your way on the floor. And uh, no, it's not just chucking threes. Uh, you're seeing a lot of cuts when you were watching the finals, if you were able to watch the finals, I don't know how much you did, but you saw a lot of cutting you, when Michael Porter didn't get his three point shot to fall. What did he do? He was cutting to the basket. That's motion um, offense. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You see uh dribble handoffs with Nicole Jokic and, and Jamal Murray, and they're running the high pick and roll. Um, are, are they doing these, these crazy, like in between the leg moves and stuff like that? Probably wasn't the series for you for that. Um, but there, there's a lot of emphasis on the pace in the space, and the game has gotten a lot faster. Um, but there is still room for, if I have a mismatch on you, I'm just going to back you down and take you inside. Look what Aaron Gordon did that entire series against the smaller Miami Heat team. Um, Nicole Jokic still has that ability to back down and use his little hook shot, flip shot. Um, so that there are pieces and parts of the old game that are still in there. It's just a little bit faster, and you have to process a lot quicker because these guys are smart. The basketball IQ, because of the the amount of basketball that these these guys are playing from when they're eight years old and on, is crazy. It's it's an insane how different grassroots has got. I give you an example. I mean, my little brother Cade's been playing since he was like seven, and it's the only sport he plays, and he plays it pretty much year round. This is a lot of these young talents coming into the high school ranks, coming into the college ranks, and then moving on into mm-hmm. the NBA if you're good enough, of course. Um, so they eat, sleep, and breathe. And there's a lot of high IQ guys coming in, and it's not just from here. It's from all around France. It's from, you know, Germany, uh, you know, wherever. Um so that, I think, has made the game a little bit more. You have to have the mindset and you have to have the knowledge that you are one of five on the floor. You can't just be athletic and overcompensate by your Correct. athleticism. Like, you can't be a, uh, I'm, I'm going to use a, a absolutely a, a reference that you and I and maybe five other people would know about is a Christian Ianga. You're not going to get a guy who is uh, who can jump out of the gym. It's like, okay, but can he shoot? No. Uh, can he play defense? No, not really. Uh, can he set a, you know, a pick and roll? No, not really. Can he, uh, can he do this? Can he do that? No, but he's very athletic. We're past that point in the league now that the days of the goon, the power forward, who's just going to come in the game and body up at the aforementioned Kendrick Perkins, the Scott Pollards, the, uh, some of those guys that are going to go into the game just to get five, six fouls and not score any points, get any rebounds. It's like, no. Things have changed a lot. Your point guards are in the slam dunk contest and your centers are in the three-point contest. You have to do more than just be a one-dimensional player in today's NBA. And I think that's for the betterment of the game. However, of course, gets me to my next point is the overemphasis on analytics. And this has been my criticism of all the sports. And I am somebody, I'm very consistent when I've said this. Use the tools that you have in front of you, but don't rely on it. 
And that's what I didn't like about what's happened in the NBA when the high reliance on uh, high percentage shooting that, hey, if you take a two steps back, it's one extra point. And so you would say a three pointer on the baseline is still a higher percentage shot than a two pointer on the baseline, just two feet in front that based on how analytics go. So of course you're going to take the three. So what that does is it ends up taking away a lot of that mid range game where it just becomes three pointers and dunks. And like you said, if you watched a lot of that series, Miami just chuck threes all over the place. And if you watch the golden state game in the last decade, they chuck threes all over the place. It's a new game now. And yes, like you said, there is a lot of cutting and stuff, but boy, when I'm seeing teams setting records nightly for three pointers, I, I, my whole thing is defense, and it just doesn't seem like there's a ton of defense that's being played in the NBA. I, I'm not saying you go back to the days where you start bullying guys and, you know, they're having a lot more of the fouls. The uh, I forgot what it's called when you stick your foot out and they kind of land on your foot and they call that a foul. I forgot what I know that's a term, but uh, invasion of landing space. Yeah, <laughs> I, I it's one of those things where I every time I look at an NBA game and every night it's triple digits triple digits every night like even bad teams are scoring 110 points so like is that just from threes or is it because the defense is nowhere close and from when i've been watching it's been a collection of both well i'll respond like this the it's harder to play defense today than it ever has been when they take away the hand checking when they take away off ball uh, ability to to kind of grab guys and to kind of um, you know, trail them when they're rolling around in the motion offense we were just talking about. When when there are opportunities to to shut that type of stuff down, but it's being called and ticky-tack stuff gets called, then obviously it's going to be a little bit harder to defend. Um, I think there's also a little bit of homogenous offense in the NBA now as well. Um, if you look back in... I mean, shoot, you can go back even as little as 10 years. Different teams had different styles, right? You had D'Antoni playing his pace and space stuff. You had the Memphis Grizzlies playing their grit and grind style. And then you'd have a clash, right? Like, I, I know that's only just two examples, but there were. There were different ways. Different coaches had different philosophies. Now it feels like every single one of these offenses is the same. High screen and roll. Let's find the guy in the corner because we're going to suck two or three guys into the middle because they have to protect the paint. And then you have the short corner three, right? That's the, so, that's the Golden State Houston Rockets model where every team just, I mean, it's a copycat league. It's a, it's copycat, a copycat league. league. They looked and they said, that works. Let's try it here. Yes. And so now I think a lot of the teams have adopted that and we're so far gone from that. Everybody's playing five out. And what's happening is I think, Teams are just trying to find the guys that can execute that best. They're not tailoring to their personnel. They're tailoring to the style. And I feel like there has to be a little bit of difference in that, right? And you see some differences. You see what the Raptors tried a couple of years. Actually, they tried the last couple of years, three years, whatever it is. Um, they went without a center. They just threw a bunch of six, eight, six, nine guys out there, said, all right, let's 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 give this a whirl. And Play small. Exactly. And it kind of worked. I mean, they won a championship. Um, you know, you look at uh, the, the Magic are doing something similar. You look at the Cavs who threw out the three seven footer lineup and it turned innovative and um, it didn't work uh, this year because they didn't have that third seven footer, but it was something brand new the year before that. Um, so there there's trying to be a little bit of innovation, uh, but for the most part, it's a lot of the same offense. It's a lot of the same stuff. Um, you get your, you, you separate your, your good from greats coaches wise. When you look at inbounds plays, when you look at, um, timing the, the timeouts, when you look at, uh, how can I adjust to this adjustment? Um, but for the most part, offense and basketball is the same. If, if you are spreading the floor, there's a lot of teams defensively that are going to play you the same way. And you're going to end up having the same types of looks. And uh, defensively, I think there's a way to – there's got to be a way to to change it up and make teams kind of counter it. But, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Uh, copycat league, 
lots of the same stuff that you see offensively, and that's what makes it difficult for defenses. Do you think that because of how you saw with Giannis a couple of years ago and you saw with Jokic this year, that teams are going to go, let's try the Denver model. Let's do that. I mean, is this, or do they have a model? Is their model, was was this model that they had this year, was that just because of what we talked about, building up, keeping a culture for the last couple of years and that they won? Or is this something that can be... Uh, you know, uh, replicated with other teams. I mean, is, is could that happen, or 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 does or is Denver kind of like a nice story for 2023, and that this is going to be it for them for a while? Uh, I wouldn't say that because again, there's a lot of turmoil going on in the West, so there is an opportunity for them to be at the top. Um, it also depends on what happens with you know a guy like a Bruce Brown, what happens with a Contavious Caldwell Pope. Those guys are very important. Um, Jeff Green, does he retire after this because he won his first championship? Like, there, there's those questions. But model-wise, if you look at what they did organically and building around the edges, building through the draft, not making splashy moves, I guess you could say the splashiest move they made was trading for Aaron Gordon um, last year, and it worked out in their favor, and um, he got some valuable experience, and it turned out to be huge in this finals. Um, but when you're looking at what their basis was, it was Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, Nikola Jokic. I don't know how many, I don't know how many players can draw three to the middle in a zone (laughs) and then you spray it out. I don't know if you can bank on that if you're another franchise. Um, but if you're talking about how you built the team and not the the particular player and the skill set, then yeah, I think a lot of teams can look at that and say, all right, maybe we can give this coach an extra year instead of letting him go in year three. Uh, maybe we we let things play out because Jamal Murray, we thought he might have been damaged goods after he tore his ACL and didn't look the same the year after that, but then it took him two years to get back to what he was and even better than what he was before that injury. Then maybe, yeah, they look at that as a blueprint. So uh, before we wrap this up and we'll get the plugs back out again, um, not giving a prediction for next year, but uh, as far as you, you had mentioned teams like Detroit could be on the rise uh, that Orlando's maybe the Cavaliers or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, but you also mentioned the turmoil, like is, is this the end of the road for the Lakers? Is the end of the road for golden state is Sacramento going to make the jump? Like, what would you say are some of these big storylines going into next year? Uh, I really got my eye on Memphis. I have no idea <laughs> what's going to happen with Ja, depending on this suspension. Um, I really like the talent they have in that building. Jaron Jackson Jr., Defensive Player of the Year. Desmond Bain, somebody on that's on the rise, who's a who's a great, great shooting guard. Um, see what happens with Tyus Jones. That was their backup point guard, but he stepped up a lot in, in their, their point guard, uh, their starter role while Ja Morant was out or when he was uh, suspended. I'm really curious to see what happens with that team. I'm unsure. We'll see if Steven Adams is still there. Do they make huge changes because they lost in, you know, the the round to the Lakers? Who knows? But that was, um, you know, one situation I'm paying attention to. I'm looking at OKC as a really fun team. You got Chet Holmgren coming back. Don't forget he was the second overall pick last year. He was out this entire year because of injury. But OKC held its own this year. And Shea Gilgis-Alexander had the best season of his career. Um, and you still have a ton of talent on that team um, surrounding you. Look at Lou Dort, um, really amazing player uh, on the defensive end. You look at Josh Giddy and his growth. Um, they've got a lot of fun pieces, and they have a ton of draft capital if they want to say, oh, let's go out and get a vet or somebody that can push this team to the next, you know, that next level. Um, so those are the teams that I'm looking at in the West that could be really fun. In the East, I kind of already mentioned it. I, I really like what Atlanta's doing with Quinn Snyder. Uh, they actually they just uh, I, I saw this morning they brought in Mike Bray, uh, former uh, Ma, uh, Notre Dame head coach, to add to their staff. Um, they, they have added a bunch of of people to their coaching staff as well. So Quinn Snyder knows what he's doing. I think he can get to Trey. I think that Dejounte is a really solid solid piece. Uh, DeAndre Hunter I mentioned Onyeka Kongwo earlier. See what happens with John Collins, who's been in trade rumors forever here, um, but. Uh, I like where they're at and their status. Um, 
I'm interested this offseason too in what what the Nets do because they have like seven three and D wings. <laughs> so we'll see uh, if any contenders look to to add pieces from there. You got Royce O'Neal, Dorian Finney-Smith as, as two um, prime examples of that. I don't think Mikel Bridges is going anywhere. Um, Cam Johnson, see what happens in his free free agent status. Um, but there's a lot of stuff to pay attention to. Clearly, uh, as I'm running through this. <laughs> what about Kyrie? You know, we, we, you you and I have covered him back in the day. Me when he was a rookie and everything is is he is he going to get his act together? And that whoever he's going to play, let's be honest, whoever he's going to play for is it going to be Dallas? Is it going to be another team midway through next year? Whatever's going to happen, does he end up getting his act together as far as you know, uh, trying not to be the, the distraction, or is this just going to kind of continue with him? I, I just think Kyrie is who Kyrie is, and. Um, for all the amazing talent that comes with him, you're also going to have the the stuff that comes behind the scenes with him. Because um, a lot of a lot of people expected Dallas to to kind of make a jump, and they really didn't. But there wasn't enough time to develop that culture, just right. like you said about Phoenix. Well, I mean, Dallas, I thought made made a misstep there because they got rid of their best defender in Dorian Finney-Smith, and they got rid of one of their better um, bench players in Spencer Dinwiddie, and they went star hunting and sometimes star hunting doesn't work. You know, uh, we'll see. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, for some reason, I don't see him in Dallas next year and I don't like being that guy, but for some reason, I mean, he's been linked to LeBron so much. I don't know whose camp is putting out what rumors, uh, but it seems like he's going to find a way to play with LeBron. And I don't think that's going to be in Dallas the way that people are saying that he want Dallas to trade for LeBron. I don't think LeBron's going to end up in Dallas. Um, I could see him being in LA. I could see him. I, I saw Sham Strania put out a, you know, put out a, a report yesterday that Miami would be interested in Kyrie Irving. The talent is tantalizing. Let's not be like, he is an incredible basketball player incredible basketball you have some of the best handles i've ever seen from any player in the history of this league and some of the best english off glass uh, up and under finishes you name it um great passing skills just an an amazing player um organization just has to ask itself you know is it worth it that's that's the number one question when it comes to that um and in a lot of cases i think that a lot of organizations are going to say say no but those teams that are willing to take risks and willing to see if it can push them to the next level, damn right they're going to go after them. Well, forget Spencer uh, Dinwiddie. Let's talk about Spencer Davies. Where are where can we find you again? Just for people who enjoy this podcast and didn't catch it at the beginning, where can we find you? And uh, yeah, uh, not just on uh, where we can read you, but find you on social media. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, both at Spin Davies. Um, again, my work pretty much you can find on, on LinkedIn. Um, I, I know that's a little bit off. I, I have, I have a portfolio online, but I haven't updated it since 2017. So you see a lot of, yep. I got pictures on there with Trey young, uh, me interviewing Trey young when he was at the NBA draft combine. So like, yeah, it was a little bit of ways away. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, LinkedIn pretty much has all my work. Um, I, you know, pretty much just, I'm on the hoop herald right now. Um, you'll probably see some of my other work pop up place to place. Um, I have a professional Facebook page, but that's pretty much it, man. Uh, that's, that's all I, I got, I think. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens this off season and I'm excited for summer league. Absolutely. Well, Hey Spencer, thanks for doing this podcast today. And, uh, thank you folks for listening and watching this podcast goes out, uh, on, I have a Patreon at patreon.com slash Tony Mazur. Then for free every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts, and then I'll throw in a free episode every so often like this one here on YouTube and rumble. Thanks everybody for listening to and watching today's check your brain podcast. I'll be back with you tomorrow. If you're a Patreon supporter, uh, in my $10 tier, and then I'll be back with you all next week with much more content here on this podcast, this fine, fine, hopefully someday award-winning podcast. Bye now.